At this time, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Coca-Cola Company's first quarter earnings results conference call. Today's call is being recorded. If you have any objections, please disconnect at this time. All participants will be on listen-only mode until the formal question and answer portion of the call. I would like to remind everyone that the purpose of this conference is to talk with investors, and therefore questions from the media will not be addressed. Media participants should contact Coca-Cola's Media Relations Department if they have any questions. I would now like to introduce Mr. Tim Leverage, Vice President of Investor Relations, Financial Planning and Analysis. Mr. Leverage, you may now begin. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the operator. I apologize, but there will be a slight delay in today's conference. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with James Quincy, our Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and John Murphy, our Chief Financial Officer. Before we begin, please note that we've posted schedules under the Financial Information tab in the Investors section of our company website at www.cocacolacompany.com. These schedules reconcile certain non-news discussion to our results as reported under generally accepted accounting principles. You can also find schedules in in the same section of our website that provide an analysis of gross and operating margins. In addition, this conference call may contain forward-looking statements, including statements concerning long-term earnings objectives released and in the company's most recent periodic SEC report. Following prepared remarks this morning, we'll turn the call over for your questions. Please limit yourself to one question. If you have more than one, please ask your most pressing question first and then re-enter the queue. Now I'll turn the call over to Jim. James. Thanks, Tim, and good morning, everyone. In what remains a highly dynamic environment, our first quarter results on the horizon. We're encouraged by early results in markets where mobility is on the rise. This morning, I'll share what we're seeing around the world and we've taken to accelerate our transformation in our portfolio, innovation, and marketing approaches enabled by the evolution of our culture and our network organization. Then I'll quarter and how we'll continue to deliver on our objectives over the course of the year. And our business for recovery while executing against our emerging stronger agenda, equipping our system to year pandemic related lockdowns was still impacting many markets. We moved quickly as conditions changed, improving along the way and getting better at managing each wave and its resulting lockdowns. During the quarter, we saw mobility increase in some parts of the world where lockdowns eased and vaccinations accelerated. Leveraging our learnings, we drove sequential improvement in our business throughout the quarter. Trends have improved since then. marked a return to volume levels seen in March of 2019 prior to the pandemic. We continue to see ongoing strength in at-home channels 
offset by away-from-home trends, which have improved sequentially but remain pressured relative to pre-pandemic levels. We're working with our customers and bottling partners to sustain at-home momentum and capture improving away-from-home demand. For example, in Latin America, our Prospera program with our bottlers helps the traditional trade thrive through assistance with their marketing efforts, resulting in outperformance in this critical channel. In Great Britain, we launched Open, a business accelerator program to support pubs, bars, and cafes. In North America, our use of meal bundles is driving incidents in pickup and delivery transactions with food service customers. In 2020, we gained underlying share in both at-home and away-from-home channels. It continues to be the dynamic affecting our share year-to-date. Through our ongoing initiatives and as away-from-home demand improves over the course of the year, we'll seek to build on these wins in 2020. Invest to drive momentum with focus and flexibility. In markets at the forefront of the recovery, we've seen early signs that our actions taken during the pandemic are helping us outpace recovery. It's important to note that the path to a full recovery remains asynchronous around the world. Many markets haven't yet turned a corner and are still managing through the restrictions. Looking around the world, in Asia-Pacific, China continues to lead first quarter ahead of 2019 results and foot traffic almost back to pre-pandemic levels. Strong performance in India and Southwest Asia was driven by effective marketing across brands, affordable solutions and distribution expansion. Despite the unexpected state of emergency earlier in the year, Japan expanded successful RGM initiatives to help drive improvements later in the quarter. In EMEA, vaccine rollout in Europe has and many countries have been impacted by ongoing lockdowns. In Eurasia and Middle East, brand Coke recruited 4.4 million consumers through affordability packages and a focus on at-home occasions. New marketing campaigns drove improvement in flavored sparkling soft drinks and fused tea reached an all-time high value share in Turkey. In Africa, mass vaccination is expected to take longer than the developed markets. And despite ongoing volatility, Africa worked closely with our bottlers to deliver volume growth led by stepped-up execution through cooler placement. In North America, the year is off to a good start. Ongoing strength in at-home channels was driven by core brands in our sparkling portfolio as well as Simply, Fairlife and Gold Peak, all with encouraging results. Away from home began to improve in March as vaccinations and mobility picked up. In Latin America, we leveraged our core brands, digital initiatives and refillable packages to recover ahead of the economy consumption opportunity, leveraging consumer dynamics like indulgence, and single-serve multi-packs. Global ventures continue to be impacted by lockdowns in the UK, but as restrictions loosen, we're focusing on driving digital engagement and traffic back to the Costa stores. Costa Express machines continue to deliver strong performance. Turning to our transformation, our operating units are up and running and off to a very good start in the rollout of our new model. Across markets, our newly networked organization has us working more collaboratively with the overall enterprise in mind. Our operating unit and category leadership teams are working together to identify the most promising combinations across the industry based on economic outlook, consumer trends, channel dynamics, and execution imperatives. We're using more disciplined resource allocation to capture the biggest opportunities while making ongoing portfolio decisions faster and at scale. We're focused on our streamlined growth portfolio, actively and thoughtfully transitioning brands to more powerful trademarks using a phased approach to bring the consumer with us on the journey. And we're maximizing shelf space for new product launches and higher velocity products to drive higher quality growth. As we discussed at Cagney, we're focusing on what we do best, marketing our loved brands in more efficient and effective ways. 
Our Sprite Let's Be Clear campaign kicked off in markets from Asia to Africa to Latin America. The message is resonating with consumers, with impressions, views, and engagement levels above last year, and intent to purchase metrics showing promising signs. This campaign aligns with our transition to a more sustainable clear bottle, which is important in helping us achieve our world without waste goals. Our media and creative agency reviews are progressing, and we're also executing more targeted opportunities in addition to the big strategic shifts. For instance, we've taken a scaled, digitized approach to buying trade materials, resulting in an up to 15% cost reduction and improved user experience, all while offering more consistent, better quality, and sustainable alternatives. We've extended this pooled buying opportunity to our bottlers, many of whom are already on board to share the benefits system-wide. Our more disciplined innovation approach is yielding results as we balance big bets with intelligent experimentation. Using our networked approach, we are scaling our best innovations quickly and effectively, while being disciplined with those that don't get the traction required for further investment. Local experiments like Aquarius with functional benefits and Ayataka Cafe Matcha Latte in Japan, Fanta's exciting mystery flavor innovation in Europe, and package innovations like the 13.2-ounce recycled PET bottle in North America could all be lifted and shifted globally over time, similar to what we're doing this year with a half-flavored sparkling water. Our big bets for 2021 include ongoing work to scale our coffee platform under Costa. We're expanding ready-to-drink coffee in China and taking a portfolio approach to complement our powerful Georgia coffee brand in Japan. We're also rolling out an enhanced formula and package design for Coca-Cola Zero Sugar this month in Europe and Latin America and across markets globally later this year. The improved recipe brings its taste even closer to that of the iconic Coca-Cola original taste. This was influenced by consumer insights and our focus on constant improvement. And despite its enormous success, Coca-Cola Zero Sugar still represents a relatively small percentage of the trademark and we continue to respond to consumer desires for lower sugar options, and the rollout will be supported by a global, occasion-based marketing campaign. Finally, it's early day, but alcoholic beverages. With Topo Chico hard seltzer in Latin America, Europe, and most recently, we also continue to rapidly digitize our ecosystem. For example, a chatbot in South Africa engages with consumers on social media to increase away-from-home transactions. In China, we've used digital campaigns to harness consumer data to drive traffic and incidents leading to incremental growth. We're using machine learning and AI tools to stay on top of a rapidly evolving consumer trends and identify emerging needs. Our dedicated digital transformation structure offline growth. We've seen e-commerce share gains in key advanced markets like North America, Japan, and Great Britain. And in markets like Turkey, where the channel is still developing, with more than tripled sales and gained almost 10 points of share versus last year. As always, we're supporting these initiatives with strong revenue growth management and execution. Through RGM, we continue to capture at-home occasions with multi-pack options in both premium and affordable segments, while expanding distribution of smaller packaging like our sleek cans in China. And we have affordability plays like our successful refillables in Latin America, the Philippines, and now Africa. As part of our new organization, we're dedicating more resources to our RGM, continuing to raise the bar to even higher standards. In many markets, we're working with our bottling partners to optimize cooler places our bottling partners are executing strongly, and together we are working on initiatives across the enterprise to identify more efficiencies. We're operating in a networked way, leveraging our platform services organization to scale our collective data, marketing, digital, and supply chain capabilities. Our system continues to evolve, as shown by the pending combination of Coca-Cola European partners and Coca-Cola Amateur. And just this morning, we announced our intent to list Coca-Cola Beverages Africa as an independent African bottler through an initial public offering. I'm especially proud of how we are delivering on our purpose as a company, 
Every action is guided by our ambition to create a more sustainable business and better shared future that makes a difference in people's lives, our communities and the planet. Throughout the pandemic, we focus on helping communities through relief funds from the company and the Coca-Cola Foundation. In this next phase, we are supporting vaccination efforts in regions where distribution has been slower. For instance, in Brazil, our system has partnered with the country's Ministry of Health to co-create a vaccine awareness campaign. We're using our network to deliver 700,000 posters with vaccine information to more than 350,000 mom and pop stores. Tomorrow, we'll release our 2020 Business and ESG Report, where we will highlight last year's progress. While 2020 was a milestone year in terms of meeting and exceeding some previous goals like women's empowerment and global water replenishment, we continue to work toward an even more ambitious agenda. This includes our 2025 and 2030 packaging goals, our 2030 climate goals, and our new 2030 water security strategy, with more details to come later this year. In conclusion, we're optimistic about the future and bullish about our ability to continue to deliver on the objectives we laid out at the height of the crisis. More consumers, more share, better system economics, and a positive stakeholder impact. Now I'll turn the call to John to discuss how we're delivering results through a continued dynamic environment. Thank you, James, and a good morning to everybody on the call. Today I will highlight our first quarter performance and go over our top line and earnings guidance, which we are reiterating. Then I'll provide a progress update on working capital, our ability to manage through the current commodity environment, and other factors that may impact our outlook. 2021 is off to a good start, with the quarter showing steady sequential monthly improvement. We're leveraging our learnings and strategic initiatives from 2020 and leaning into growth in a thoughtful way. Our Q1 organic revenue was up 6%, driven by concentrate shipment up 5% and price mix improvement of 1%. While shipments benefited from certain timing impacts and the five additional days this quarter versus last year, unit case volume was flat versus the toughest quarterly compare of 2020, and March volume was in line with 2019 levels, largely driven by strength in Asia-Pacific. Comparable gross margins, although still down year over year, improved sequentially, driven by less pressure from channel and package mix. And while currency was still somewhat of a drag, it was less of a headwind than prior quarters. Comp reduced marketing spend in a targeted way, particularly as we ramp up investments in markets that are seeing recovery. First quarter comparable EPS of 55 cents is an increase of 8% year over year and was driven by top-line growth, margin improvement, and some contribution from equity income offset by currency headwinds. Regarding our ongoing tax case with the IRS, there are no... Our decisions and actions from last year certainly were not easy, but we are seeing, and our organization is embracing the changes as we move forward into the recovery phase. We've stayed very focused on driving a healthy top line, and we remain on a journey to maximize returns, including strong cash flow generation. We never on managing capital spend. Since we embarked on a journey toward best-in-class working capital performance, we've made great strides in extending our payment terms, generating a working capital improvement of more than a billion dollars over two years. In the same vein, we are implementing accounts receivables factoring programs, which are rolling out across a number of markets, and also looking at initiatives to better manage inventory days. At the center of these efforts is a robust digitization and automation agenda, 
in addition, and you've heard us talk conceptually about the network model, this is a great example of the network in action. When you put the right people from different parts of the organization against key initiatives, it delivers a step change in performance. Last quarter, we said that despite a rising commodity environment, we expected a relatively benign impact in 2021, given our hedged positions. While this continues to be the case, we're closely monitoring upward pressure in some inputs, such as high fructose corn syrup, PET, metals, and other packaging materials as they impact us, as well as our bottling partners. Given the environment, we continue to benefit from revenue growth management initiatives through an intelligently diverse price pack architecture, we can produce a range of options that meet the needs of consumers across the income spectrum while also capturing value for customers. 2020 provided great learnings on how to be more surgical and data-driven in our promotions, and we'll continue to be purposeful in our approach driven by the consumer and the strength of our brands. We'll also continue to pursue productivity across the supply chain, pushing all levers at our disposal. Since we last provided guidance, the US dollar has strengthened, and as we noted in our release, we now expect currency to be a tailwind of approximately 1% to 2% to the top line, and approximately 2 to 3% to comparable EPS in 2021, based on current spot rates and our hedge positions. For the full year, we now expect an underlying effective tax rate of 19.1%. Putting it all together, our quarterly performance and the momentum we saw in March give us confidence and our ability to achieve our 2021 guidance. We expect high single-digit organic revenue growth and high single-digit to low double-digit growth in comparable earnings per share. We still expect recovery to be asynchronous and to see signs of return to normal in more markets later in 2021. We are preparing our end-to-end supply chain for stronger demand and will fuel the momentum in recovering markets as they emerge from the pandemic by accelerating investments in our brands. There's no doubt that uncertainty remains. Europe continues to see challenges. Many countries in regions like Latin America and Africa expect further waves and slower vaccine distribution. And India is seeing a surge in cases and responding with localized lockdowns. But as we begin to lap the most difficult periods from last year, we feel good about our position and our ability to navigate the environment as a company and as a system based on the lessons we've learned and the agility provided by our new networked organization. We remain confident that our actions and the progress we've made will enable us to deliver 2021 earnings at or above 2019 levels. With that operator, we are ready to take questions. Ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, you will need to press star one on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. In the interest of time, we ask that you please limit yourself to one question. If you have any additional questions, you may rejoin the queue. Our first question comes from the line of Dara Mosenian with Morgan Stanley. Dara, your line is open. Hey, guys. So um, clearly top-line growth in, in Q1, it, it recovered to a greater extent than the market expected. You guys mentioned a good start to the year, the sequential improvements. So I guess, A, can you just discuss volume trends in March and markets where restrictions have loosened and mobilities picked up, such as the U.S., maybe contrast that with the markets where restrictions are still in place and what that portends going forward. And then, B, totally understand it's a very fluid environment, but with March volume already back to 2019 levels, the top line upside in the quarter, can you just help me understand the unchanged full-year top-line outlook? Um, is it just that it's early, given the volatility, and we only have one quarter in the books to become more positive on the full year, just showing – sort of trying to understand your mindset on the full-year revenue guidance relative to the Q1 upside. Thanks. 
Sure. Um, <clears throat> thanks, Sarah. Um, so, firstly, the, the first quarter was strong. Um, absolutely, we gained momentum, uh, and we we achieved that good momentum in the first quarter, which is really the fruition of the Emerging Stronger Plan. We set out a year ago saying we wanted to get back to 2019 levels well ahead of the economy uh, by you know, gaining more share, more customers, better system economics. Uh, and I think what, that's what you're starting to see happen in the first quarter. And obviously, we've been driving that by focusing on the brands and on the innovation. Uh, and the bottlers have been executing uh, in the marketplace. And it's certainly heartening to see us get back to 2019 uh, volume levels uh, uh, in March. And, and we did all of that whilst doing, finishing the, the implementation of the reorganization. So, you know, the, the employees on the, on the company side were able to both deliver the results and stand up the new organization with the operating units and platform services and, and really hit the ground uh, running. So I think it is actually a super creditable uh, performance uh, in, in the first quarter. Um, secondly, the, the downhill and the, and the question about guidance, I mean, ultimately, it, it's early, and, and it's not early just in a normal sense. It's early in the context of the pandemic. Um, also, you know, breaking the news today is that weekly new cases of COVID has hit an all-time peak. So the, the <clears throat> whilst vaccinations are rising in many countries, U.S., U.K., etc., the, the, the flip side is there's actually a, a, a new high in terms of cases uh, obviously, a number of developing, market, <coughs> developing markets, but also uh, uh, Europe as well, continental Europe as well. Um, so the visibility into the downhill is very much linked to the trajectory of the pandemic um, and, 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 and as it relates to our business, the trajectory of the lockdowns. Um, you know, very clearly, as we've talked on in previous quarters, lockdowns, because we have half our business in away from home, are impacted. Uh, directly by a degree of the degree of lockdown, um, and and th there are still lockdowns coming on. You know, uh, a number in Europe, uh, some of the developing markets. Uh, conversely, as markets start to open, it's worth remembering it's not an on-off switch. There's a phasing uh, of, of of how markets tend to reopen. Uh, that's true of the U.S. So, in the in, for example, in the U.S., uh, the fountain volumes were still negative uh, in March because whilst People are going out to restaurants and there's more mobility. Uh, it's not back to what it was. You know, the, the occupancy levels of offices are nowhere near 100%. Um, and, and so reopening is not an on-off switch. There's a rebuilding and there's a series of phases uh, of reopening. Uh, and so that's a imp very important factor. And it's, it's somewhat unpredictable in the downhill. So it's, it's too early to call, not in a business sense, but in a lockdown and reopening sense. Um, and, and the reality is that there are more cases now than there were a while ago. So we, we still feel very confident in our guidance on the top and the bottom line, um, um, but there's a lot of managing left to do, and we certainly focused on giving ourselves the flexibility and agility to be able to, to, to do that, and which leads me to my third point, which I think is worth made, making. Unlike normal times, one should not automatically assume that that more revenue is always going to flow straight down to the bottom line. Much as we did in 2020, we are going to be very judicious and focused on investing where we believe reopening and demand is coming back and not investing uh, if we don't think uh, the response in the marketplace is there. So you're going to see as we go through 2021, we will be looking at both levers. If we see that demand is coming in, or coming in at the kind of the, the higher end, because more reopenings happen more quickly for, for whatever reason, um, and revenue starts to accelerate. We are also likely to reaccelerate the restitution of the marketing spend. Conversely, if, if whatever reason revenue starts to look a little weaker, um, then we are, we are likely to hold back on some of the marketing. So I think it's important as you think about the rest of the year that you don't think of it as a normal times. One has to think about uh, how we are uh, 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 using the resources judiciously and wanting to invest to drive growth um, uh, and, and get back to normal. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Spillane with Bank of America. Brian, your line is open. Hey, uh, thank you, operator. Good morning, everyone. 
John, I wanted to pick up on some of the, the comments you made relative to uh, inflation. And I guess kind of thinking about it past, you know, 21 and into 22, just given the recent trends, you know, which have elevated pretty meaningfully, you know, across a lot of inputs, really across our whole coverage universe, um, if that stays in effect for 22, can you talk a little bit about what what you can do working with the system, so with the bottlers, to try to manage that inflation and, and really beyond revenue management? So just how much, uh, what type of, of actions can you take in terms of procurement, um, maybe finding inefficiencies that exist between, you know, the Coca-Cola company and the bottling system? Just just really trying to understand, you know, in a, in a scenario where inflation stays meaningfully elevated in a way that, you know, we haven't seen in a real long time. Just what types of things, you know, you could contemplate to try to help the system manage that inflation. Thank you, Brian. Good morning. Good topic, and, and one that with our bottling partners around the world, are, we're looking at it in a very holistic manner. Um, you know, managing inflation is not new to the system. Um, and it's one, it's an area that needs to be looked at uh, locally uh, and working closely um, in partnership with, uh, with our bottlers. There, as you say, the inflationary pressures, uh, particularly surrounding some of our key commodities, uh, looks like it is going to be uh, more of a headwind in 22. 21, we are, as, as we said in the release, pretty well covered and in, in good shape. Um, and so when you think about the, the actions we take, first and foremost, I think it is important to, um, to, to highlight that as, a, as an overarching principle around the world, we typically look to take pricing in line with inflation. Uh, and I would expect that that principle will continue to be um, adhered to as we move into the back half of 21 and even and into 22. Um, secondly, while um, I know you mentioned beyond RGM, I do think it's important to, uh, to reinforce the value that RGM brings to being able to um, e execute a pricing strategy in the most relevant and meaningful fashion locally. And so that will continue to be a key priority. Uh, thirdly, on the things that we can do uh, on the productivity area, uh, like I, I would point to our supply chain, particularly with our with our bottling partners, uh, in the last six to twelve months, coming through the pandemic and indeed coming out of it, the, the level of engagement we've had with our uh, within the system on uh, unlocking value in the supply chain through greater efficiencies has been has been phenomenal, and uh, I would expect that momentum to continue into the rest of this year and into 2022. We have had, over the last number of years, uh, the benefit of uh, leveraging our cross-enterprise procurement group, um, a group of people that work uh, on behalf of the entire system around the world that are able to leverage the global scale of the system and, um, and I think, um, arrive at some of the most competitive uh, pricing that we can get, that anybody can get, when it comes to uh, key inputs. So when you take a, a, a sort of an, an overarching holistic view of it, uh, we, we've got, a, I think, a tried and true um, practice of being able to take pricing in line with inflation, leverage RGM to do it in the most intelligent fashion, um, and increasingly operate as a global system to leverage our scale, taking into account some of the sort of the historic um, groups we have, like cross-enterprise procurement, but also new, uh, new opportunities abounding as a result of the uh, overall strategy we've been pursuing during and after the pandemic. Your next question comes from the line of Nick Modi with RBC Capital Markets. Nick, your line is open. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, J James, I was hoping you could provide some tangible examples of how the company's new decision-making infrastructure is, is manifesting in better outcomes um, generally, uh, and maybe just kind of contrast that to what those decisions would have looked like under the older model. Thank you. Sure, uh, uh, Nick. Um, a, a few examples. One, I think John's already mentioned, uh, the cash flow. 
uh, we, we struggled for many years to get uh, up into best-in-class uh, cash conversion or working capital, uh, and the work that has been done uh, by the finance uh, network uh, has produced a great result, and, and that's you know clearly flowing through um, uh, not just in terms of the kind of theoretical you know amount of days working capital, but the actual cash coming into the company. Uh, in the first quarter, which was a, a really strong result, and that's something that we have struggled uh, uh, to do uh, uh, in, in the past. Um, uh, another example would be we have been rolling out a, um, a global campaign on Sprite, which has got excellent early traction uh, in terms of consumer engagement, uh, in terms of purchase intent, um, and, and that was developed by the category leads and, and, and the key uh, operating units and has been uh, rolled out across the world, something that we uh, were unable to do or unable to convince ourselves to do uh, uh, historically. Uh, and so we believe that that is uh, making uh, some cut through. Um, the supply chain optimization working uh, with the modelers and really focusing on uh, reducing um, uh, the, the, the unit cost uh, of what we do and looking across all the metrics um, and increasing data transparency uh, it is happening. And then you, you, you go to some of the uh, platform services um, where we're really starting to be able to implement, especially in those areas where one single global solution makes total sense, you know, buying trade materials, uh, uh, through, through global platforms driving significant savings for ourselves and the system um, and, and then hopefully later this month we'll turn on uh, our latest SAP update which will go from uh, one that was done 20 years ago which was probably one of the world's most complicated and therefore most expensive the bottlers uh, we're able to make the contact points and, and get faster, better solutions. Your next question comes from the line of Lauren Lieberman with Barclays. Lauren, your line is open. Um, this is probably a good lead-in from all three of the last questions, but um, I want to talk a little bit about profitability because it was interesting to me that I think margins in almost every division outside of EMEA were comfortably ahead of where they were in the first quarter of 2019. And knowing that COVID comps weren't necessarily a dynamic for all regions in the first quarter of last year, if I still benchmark back to 19, the profitability improvements are significant. And so I was curious, you know, how much knowing, James, your comments on wanting to invest to support recovery is a very important dynamic. But how much do you think of the that margin improvement that we're seeing so, you know, at this point, is tied to these broad range of cost management initiatives, um, you know, across the board and, and RGM inclusive versus timing of marketing, the need to put back in and continue funding the business. And it may be different region to region, of course, as well. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. Look, uh, clearly the, the, the reinvestment um, of marketing is going to vary somewhat uh, by region in in 2021, um, for the for the reasons I outlined in that answer, uh, it's it's important as that 2021 is also going to be a somewhat atypical year. There will will be markets around the world where we where we judge the situation such that we don't have a normal level uh, of marketing. Um, and so that does tend to favor margins, uh, operating margins, uh, at that point in time. Um, and, and so it, it, is, it is important to break it, uh, to break it apart uh, and look at it by the different regions. Um, we certainly are not coming out uh, with, with, with some numerical, um, we, we removed the, the previous target, but we are focused uh, ultimately uh, on growing the business and uh, embedded in our long-term growth model is an implicit uh, assumption that we can uh, slowly uh, or steadily, perhaps better said, uh, improve margins uh, over time because there is a lot of efficiency work going on uh, uh, within the cost of goods sold, 
uh, within the DME, particularly the non-working part of the DME. We've, we've got a lot of focus on um, the agency roster and how we spend uh, the money we spend before he even gets to see the, the consumer. Uh, and obviously we've done the networked organization, which was about making us uh, better able to support the growth aspirations, uh, but it is also a more efficient uh, organization. Um, and so all those things will go into the mix um, at the impact of RGM, because uh, to the extent that we can leverage RGM, that also helps uh, on a gross margin uh, uh, and ultimately operating income margin as well. So we will be pulling all those levers um, as we go through 2021, but, but again, uh, it, it won't be a fully normal year uh, in every region, and so you will see some of these, these strange effects. Your next question comes from the line of Carlos Laboy with HSBC. Carlos, your line is open. Yes, good morning, everyone. Um, could you could you give seeing some notable progress this past year on digital transformation, perhaps tied into into this inflation um, and margin question, right? By commenting on how digital tools are perhaps helping you mitigate or stay ahead. Um, I mean the the digital transformation is, is, is much above and beyond uh, uh, coping with, with inflation, although, of course, uh, some of the tools will help us uh, manage uh, if, there's a, if there's an inflationary uh, spike. Um, you know, clearly, even with, uh, with consumers, and there are, there are some you know, good examples of progress, you know, China, which is started the year very strongly, not just compared to 2020, but compared to shift into digital engagement with consumers, or even uh, um, in, in Japan with, uh, with our own Coke On apps that, that we use uh, to connect people to uh, the vending machines and, and, and the cashless options and a, and a larger uptick in, in monthly active consumers. So there is a great deal of progress being made in terms of how we engage through digital media, how we engage directly with consumers uh, in a digital relationship that, that, that's helping there. Uh, the system, I, used, I talked about the example of buying materials with, 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 with digital platforms, but clearly there's a huge piece of, uh, of what needs to happen, which is the backbone of both the company and the modelers and the interoperability of all the data uh, where we're making um, excellent progress. And ultimately, all those insights uh, and all those efficiencies help us uh, manage the, the, the inflationary pressures out there, whether we use the insights to engage more consumers or we use the insights to, to, uh, to, to in a way, digital is becoming, and it's just, it's just like saying I turn up and have to manage the business and use all these tools to do Just one comment there, James. Um, if you think about the emerging stronger program that we've outlined over the last six to nine months, it would not have been possible to do three years ago. Um, you know, the degree to which we have been able to operate in a in a fast and efficient manner across across the globe to deliver this program is all due to the fact that we have essentially become digitized in how we work and how we operate, uh, just to support what, Jim, what your last comment there. Your next question comes from the line of Steve Powers with Deutsche Bank. Steve, your line is open. Thank you. Um, maybe uh, pivoting back to the top line, so you know, March volumes back to even with 2019 is, a, is just a very key and promising milestone. And we've seen sequential progress over the last few quarters, but I guess I'm I'm curious whether that trend back to 2019 levels has been relatively smooth on a global basis, or if there's been more volatility underneath the service service than we may appreciate looking at the headline numbers. So maybe if you could just frame for us how performance versus 2019 has trended over the past few months, and if you expect those trends to, and how you expect those trends to evolve over the course of the year in terms of 
whether it will be relatively smooth and even or, or lumpy um, with case counts and vaccinations and the like. And I guess ultimately, you know, or do you expect to be back to growth versus 19 when the dust settles on April, or is that is that too ambitious? Um, so, um, aggregate, clearly, you know, April was the deepest hole that we fell into uh, in 2020. And then as we adapted the business uh, and really drove uh, uh, what we were doing, um, uh, then, you know, we sequentially got better. So kind of we fell into the hole, I think it was like minus 25 or something. Um, uh, uh, in, in, in April last year, and then it was, you know, negative teens and then negative single digits slowly improving through the rest of uh, uh, 2020. Uh, and then coming into uh, 2021, uh, obviously we're then, you know, uh, cycling um, uh, the bad year, but if we compare it to 2019, it got better as we went through January and February, which was still below the 19 levels, and, and obviously March uh, was... Uh, was above. I mean, April. April has started well because um, uh, we're cycling something, you know, very low. I, I think most importantly, um, I, I would refer you back to the comment I made. The second thing I said relative in the first answer, which is just because March has got back to the level and just because April has started well one week, there's no there's no guarantee that that is then uh, some kind of trend that is in the bank. The, the, the principal uncertainty remains the risk of additional lockdowns. Um, much as 2019, uh, 2020's numbers were, you know, uh, uh, heavily impacted by the degree of lockdown, that will remain true uh, this year. So whilst we've got back a lot above the line of flotation in, in March, uh, there's no guarantee there won't be some extra degree of lockdowns in May or September or December, um, that then, uh, you know, puts pressure uh, uh, back on the business. So uh, I don't think, I know I keep hitting this point, you know, we had a super start of the year, the momentum's building, but this very unusual factor of the pandemic and the lockdowns continues to be an uncertainty factor that one can't draw a straight line through the historic data. Now, once you get under the surface uh, of, of the overall global numbers, which kind of, uh, um, look like the kind of the, the tick mark, if you like, uh, going down and then kind of steadily improving. Uh, clearly, you, you get much more variability at a country level, again, heavily influenced uh, uh, by the degree of lockdown. So, um, you know, in a sense, April last year was the worst because you had the most number of countries, most uh, the highest degree of synchronization of lockdowns globally. Um, and, I, and I think this idea of saying the recovery will be asynchronous is we already see that in the first half. You've got countries where the vaccine levels are going up and the reopening is occurring, uh, US, UK, China, for examples, and yet you've got countries going in exactly the opposite direction with cases shooting up and more levels of lockdown. And that's, that's what we're trying to highlight with this, this asynchronous. It may be that as a total company, uh, it all looks moved out somewhat, but this asynchronous feature will be very important in 2021. Your next question comes from the line of Bonnie Herzog with Goldman Sachs. Bonnie, your line is open. All right. Thank you, and good morning, everyone. I was hoping to switch gears a little bit and maybe hear a little bit more color behind your decision to IPO Africa. I know you guys have explored a sale in the past, but why do you think you know, this is the right decision for that business. And then how do you expect this will impact the performance of the business going forward and, you know, maybe potential benefits you might see? Thanks. Sure. Thanks, Ronnie. Um, I mean, certainly uh, it's always been our uh, intention to reduce our ownership uh, in CCBA uh, in, in line with our strategy, as John puts it, to become the world's smallest Coke bottler. Uh, and, and so we were always uh, contemplating uh, how we would refranchise CCBA. I mean, the CCBA, Coca-Cola Beverages Africa, is, is a strong, well-structured, capable uh, a bottle, and we have always considered as one of the options uh, whether uh, uh, to have it be a freestanding uh, entity in Africa. And, it, and we have uh, reached the conclusion that if one thinks about the future potential 
uh, of the African market and the African continent uh, um, uh, and, and, and how much long growth there is there. I mean, it is the youngest billion people uh, are in Africa. Uh, we think it would, we've ultimately come to the conclusion, it would be right for the development of the business in Africa to have an African headquartered, African uh, bottler um, uh, that, that, that is, you know, operating on the continent. And, and so uh, the, read, the read through is we believe in the future of Africa uh, as a continent, as an economy. Uh, we think we've got a great, uh, um, uh, capable uh, bottler. Um, that can help lead uh, our ability to grow there. Uh, and then an IPO uh, will allow us uh, uh, to set that up um, uh, to be a source of growth for many years to come. Your next question comes from the line of Andrea Tesheria with J.P. Morgan. Andrea, your line is open. Thank you, Operator. Good morning. And uh, so can you quantify how much the impact of the winter storms had in your volumes in Q1? Uh, and as a follow-up on your comments before, can you please give us an idea how your training in Q2, the same way you did, it helped us in the first quarter? And just because, you know, just a quick one on, on the U.S. tax dispute, um, what is your base case in terms of the timing for the appeal at this point and your impact on the cash flow? Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. I'll maybe start with the, with the tax question. Andrea, thank you for the questions. But let's start with the tax question. Um, in terms of on timing, it's we we do not have a we do not have a picture at the moment. We are dependent on the outcome of another case um, before any further developments take place with our own case, and we have no visibility into that outcome. So. Um, We'll keep you apprised as we as we know more on the the storms in the U.S. Not a material uh, impact to our business, and with regard to volumes in Q2, um, it's so early in the in the in the quarter. Not a lot to not a lot to say at the moment. I think I think the key highlights really as we as we look at um, as we look at the Downhill is is the fact that March was uh, was significantly improved in a number of markets where mobility is is improving and um, and we'll continue I think to see a, a close relationship between mobility and our performance. Your next question comes from the line of Komil Gajrawala from Credit Suisse. Komil, your line is open. Uh, good morning, everybody, um, and. Fantastic pronunciation, operator. I don't get that frequently. Thank you. Um, if I may ask um, James and John about competition, um, and maybe particularly in the United States, it uh, looks like Pepsi is getting some momentum. We obviously just heard from them on Friday. Here it seems, of course, that pricing remains rational, but um, perhaps from a competitiveness X pricing, um, maybe that's increasing. So if you could just talk about what you're seeing there, um, that would be useful. Thanks. Um, well, uh, I think they, they, they certainly that we always are happy to see other company other companies uh, invest in, uh, uh, in, in, in into the beverage industry because that tends to create more consumer engagement, um, uh, and and obviously we we pay attention to what they're doing. So hopefully we can learn uh, from them. Uh, there's a lot of very capable. Uh, competitors out there, so we like to we like to we like to learn from them. Um, but but in the end, we, we focus on what we can do, and in and in and in the U.S. in particular, um, uh, cat channel mix aside, uh, we we gain share we gain share uh, going forward in in beverages uh, in the U.S. business, and we we feel confident that as the channel uh, trends and the reopening bring back the 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 away from home uh, uh, businesses, which of course they started to do. Uh, in March, then we will be able to capitalize uh, on on those trends uh, as well. Uh, and as it relates uh, to, to pro promotional uh, activity, I mean, ultimately, we, we are uh, seeing a kind of rational uh, pricing, a promotional uh, environment uh, in the U.S., and we'll certainly be uh, looking to build on that 
uh, with our RGM capabilities and with the bottling system uh, to really drive and leverage uh, the investments we're collectively making as a system in the marketing uh, and the execution to, uh, to drive the, the business forward. Your next question comes from the line of Rob Ottenstein with Evercore ISI. Rob, your line is open. Great. Thank you very much. A um, couple of questions um, on, on Topo Chico. Uh, you know, it looks like a very strong start in the U.S. with about a 3% market share. Um, but, you know, you started even earlier, I think, in October in Mexico and Brazil, uh, and now rolling out in Europe. Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, how – uh, you feel about the execution of the uh, the bottling network uh, with a uh, an adult beverage? Uh, any signs of, of trends in terms of repeat in some of the earlier markets? Uh, and any general learnings that you've gotten so far as you evaluate, uh, you know, what could be a new growth engine for the company? Thank you. Thanks, Robert. Um, so. In the markets where it's been in longer, so Latin America uh, and Europe, about 14 markets between them, um, uh, a couple of, of things we're seeing. Obviously, the, the degree of uh, resonance is depending on the degree of category development that might already exist or not exist uh, in, in some of those markets. Um, uh, uh, and so we've seen different levels of engagement depending on whether the category is there or not. Uh, secondly, I mean, we're clearly in the mode of learning uh, how to uh, compete uh, uh, in this category, both from a branding point of view uh, and from an execution point of view. Um, but we're, we're definitely starting to see um, uh, improving trends and good repeats uh, in the context of the different uh, markets where it's been launched. Uh, whether that be uh, Latin America or in Europe. We're still building out distribution uh, in Mexico, uh, for example, um, um, but we, 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 we've done a good start in Europe, a little easier, as I said, because the categories are a bit more developed in the West uh, versus the East. Um, and so our, our focus is maximizing the amount of learning uh, that we're doing. And as it relates to the U.S., uh, whilst our overall share is three, and I, I, I would double underline that you know, Topo Chico as a brand is well known uh, in the U.S. Uh, and therefore, you know, get driving, uh, creating trial on a well-known brand uh, with an innovation uh, is actually uh, relatively uh, straightforward. The key is repeat, and, and we have not yet got to the point of having good repeat data in the U.S. Having having opened a big caveat umbrella, uh, I would comment that you know, Topo Chico hard seltzer might have 3% overall in the U.S., but actually in Texas, uh, where we've kind of concentrated some of the, the, the launch, um, it's almost hit a 20 share in the first two weeks uh, of launch. So we, we are encouraged uh, by the early results, but it's all going to come down to repeat, and nothing's worth anything without repeat. Your next question comes from the line of Kevin Grundy with Jefferies. Kevin, your line is open. Great. Thanks. Good morning, everyone, and uh, congratulations on the nice progress this quarter. Um, James, I wanted to come back to your Asia-Pacific business, specifically China. Obviously, a really strong result. This comes on the heels of PepsiCo's strong results in China as well. Uh, China, obviously, uh, earlier to the pandemic than, than other countries, and then you're seeing nice, strong consumer demand here. So a few questions, please. One, can you talk about what you're seeing by channel, both at home and away from home? Maybe comment briefly on, on the trends in April relative to the strong result in the first quarter. And then lastly, just how the strong demand in China may be informing your view with respect to recovery in other markets. Thank you. Uh, sure. Um, yeah, clearly, clearly good results, uh, good results in China. Um, um, uh, we're definitely, uh, I mean, obviously we're lapping or beginning to lap the kind of the, the worst part of 2020. But ahead of 2019, we've, we've lent in uh, to the reopening uh, and the, the re-energizing of China with, with the consumer marketing, with a big push into digital engagement with the consumer, with a big push into uh, uh, e-commerce, and, and we, are, we are benefiting from that. It is worth uh, noting that, that in terms of the channels, almost what we see, and this is true, you know, when you look at not just China, but if you start looking at Australia or even, or even the U.S., you see kind of a phases or waves uh, of the reopening. Um, and so 
as the reopening occurs, actually get a lot of people going out uh, to restaurants uh, uh, and the kind of the, the full service uh, eating away, um, um, and, and, and that goes up, bearing in mind that the universe of mom and pop stores and the universe of small restaurants has shrunk. People have, you know, the number of people uh, running those sorts of businesses has, has shrunk, and I think we're going to see that all across the world. So the, 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 there is a consolidation sectors. But as the reopening occurs, you see a lot of going out in the evenings. Um, so all the channels related to that come back first. The second uh, kind of wave of improvements in channels uh, is, is loosely in the bucket of office and commuting um, because, you know, as the reopening happens, people go out, yet the offices aren't back to 100% capacity, um, so you've not got that ecosystem of commuting and lunchtime in the big city centers uh, at, at full, um, and that's the kind of the second bit that's coming back uh, in China, and actually you don't see that back yet uh, in the U.S. In, in, in March. You see the restaurants kind of bouncing back, but you don't see the, the kind of the ecosystem of commuting and offices uh, uh, having bounced back uh, anywhere near to the same degree. And then there's a third phase, um, which hasn't really happened yet, uh, which is kind of the large gatherings kind of phase of channels, whether that be, you know, cinemas, concerts, sporting events, etc., etc. Uh, and that's only very partial coming back. So I think think of this kind of a set of waves of reopening uh, as, as the economy normalizes. Um, and we've thought about that, and, and we're kind of investing uh, both in the consumer and the bottlers are doing a great job of investing um, for the customers and retailers, and we're seeing a very nice result. Your next question comes from the line of Sean King with UBS. Sean, your line is open. Great, thanks. Um, it, this happened in a number of regions, but uh, the APAC concentrate sales uh, came in 11 points ahead of the unit case volume. Um, what drove that gap besides the, I guess, the calendar shifts? And should we expect, uh, like, a reversal in this dynamic, or is it something that is sort of uh, going to continue as we see markets reopen? Um, so for APAC, just to, to specifically on your question, yes, APAC did run ahead mainly due to uh, the extra days in the quarter. And we also had a timing impact with regard to Chinese New Year in, in China, obviously. Um, and, um, and so, but for the quarter overall, you saw, you saw um, gallons running ahead, mainly due to the extra days in the quarter. Your next question comes from the line of Laurent Grande with Guggenheim. Laurent, your line is open. Yeah, very nice pronunciation as well. So good morning, everyone. Um, yes, I'd like to focus on emerging markets. So you said in your prior remark that uh, the volume case is correlated to uh, the consumer mobility driven by vaccination rates. So as according to the WHO, I mean, vaccination rates should be about 70% by the end of the year in uh, in developed markets, but sadly just about 20% in emerging markets. So should we consider then that emerging markets would be slower to recover? Um, and uh, really, really probably, I mean, if you can uh, provide some, uh, some of your thoughts there and uh, maybe some granularity between, uh, between regions. Thank you. Sure. Um, so uh, I, I think as you say, uh, clearly the, the vaccination rates uh, in the developed markets is going to be ahead of the developing markets uh, for, for the duration of this year. The, the critical factor to add to that is the, the, the market response uh, to the level of cases or the low vaccination rates in the developing markets, because the thing that impacts our business most directly is the degree of lockdown. Um, and so it's the response uh, to the level of cases of the COVID and the resulting lockdowns rather than necessarily uh, directly the level of, uh, of vaccination because there are countries where the level of vaccination is low um, but because they had a strong lockdown and then kind of locked the country up, say Australia or whatever, then they, they've started to reopen. So the, the key factor to look for is the degree of lockdown and, and, and think through for that market, you know, what's likely to happen level of cases and what the policy response uh, uh, in the country uh, is likely to be. 
Um, uh, and there'll be countries where uh, I think, frankly and, and, and unfortunately, they don't have the wherewithal uh, and the fiscal capacity to implement large lockdowns, uh, even if they've not got all the vaccines that they want, uh, and the markets remain open. And, and, of course, we will look for ways to adapt the business to support the people, um, support the retailers, and, and continue to engage uh, uh, with consumers as that goes on. Your next question comes from the line of Bill Chappell with Truist Securities. Bill, your line is open. Uh, thanks. Good morning. Hey, just want to follow up, and, and this is fairly near-term and acute to the U.S., but I'm just trying to understand the, kind of the commentary of how you're looking at the business and that, I mean, it, it seems that the U.S. will be different in kind of the reopening of everywhere else. So major, high majority of the population will be inoculated in the next 30 days just as schools are getting out, just as the weather is getting good. You have kind of uh, sporting events talking about full capacity in June. I mean, are you – is that a scenario you're prepared for and the bottling network is prepared for if, if the, the business, the, the on-premise business just explodes? And, uh, you know, or do you really think that this, this is just going to be kind of go from phase two to phase three in May and phase four in June and slowly kind of open up over the summer? Um, I, what, I think the phases are going to exist, Bill. They're just going to happen very quickly uh, in the U.S. So if I, if I look at what's already happening, um, you know, I mean, those, that bit of the away from home was trending negative in volume, strongly negative in volume in, in, in January and February. And as the reopening happened, it jumps up uh, uh, in March. Um, and, and as you say, as, if, you know, as, school, uh, as education and at work opens, uh, both of which are still running negative in March, uh, I think they're going to jump up again. So what I think we're going to see uh, as the U.S. completes its kind of rapid vaccination is a quick succession of the phases rather than a drawn-out uh, uh, set of the phases. Other parts of the world where the vaccination uh, uh, programs are, are slower, uh, then I think you'll see a more gradual uh, phasing uh, of what happens. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes our question and answer session. I would now like to turn the call back over to James Quincy for any closing remarks. Okay, so um, thanks very much, everyone. Uh, it's, uh, it's certainly um, uh, been uh, great talking to you all. Um, we had an excellent uh, first quarter, very encouraging. Um, still many of the parts of the world yet to emerge from the pandemic. Um, but as we navigate this kind of dynamic environment, we'll continue to evolve and do better. Um, and we're well positioned to the recovery as it plays out, both as an organization and as a system. And as always, we thank you for your interest, your investment in our company, and for joining us today. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.